Welcome to Hell's Tavern RGV, ladies and gentlemen, the only place for the best in barstool politics and barstool conversations. I am your host, Raleigh Castillo. On today's podcast, we have author and labor activist Dan McRory, author of the book Capitalism Killed the Middle Class, 25 Ways the System is Rigged Against You, available now on Amazon, hardcover, paperback, and Kindle. And also, You Will Forever Be My Always, also available on hardcover, both on Amazon. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for friends or family, definitely consider one of these books. So this podcast was one I was excited about, and let me tell you why. Because I don't think I'm alone in feeling like our country is in a pivotal moment. The middle class has been gutted out through decades of a bipartisan neoliberal agenda geared to benefit the global rich. The American working man and woman have been sacrificed at the altar of cheap goods. American productivity has skyrocketed while wages have remained abysmally low. Standard of living has dropped. Americans are no longer able to raise a family comfortably on a single income. The gap between the rich and poor has widened to crisis levels. The pandemic put thousands of small businesses under. And while people were losing their livelihoods and struggling to survive, the rich kept getting richer. Cultural divides have been exasperated and people are angry. Rates of suicide and depression have gone up. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So how do we make sense as people, as citizens of what feels like a declining way of life? How did we end up with Trump and Biden as our only options for the way forward? An egomaniac willing to tank democracy for his own personal gain and a half alive, half conscious career politician who struggles to even string a single sentence together. To answer these questions, we have to know and understand how it is we got here in the first place. And that is why I wanted to talk to Dan McRory. He's an expert on the current system, the history, and the actors who gave us this mess. In this barstool conversation, we talk about everything ranging from the 80s Reaganomics to NAFTA signed by Clinton to the housing crash of 2008, Trump and the pandemic, the current political climate of hatred and anger, and more importantly, how we move forward from here. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and learn as much as I did. I now give you Dan McRory. Dan McRory, how you doing, sir? Great, how are you, Earl? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. I, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, my book. Yeah, yeah. And we have, a, we have a lot to get into. So, uh, so let's hit the ground running here. Very good. Um. One of the of my major concerns is the political climate that we are facing here in our country today, the divisions between left and right, and the fact that so much is going on and all people seem to see is the culture war, right? But that is by design. I saw Ted Cruz on the on the Senate floor railing against Big Bird. Oh yeah, because Big Bird was pushing for for the for the COVID vaccinations, right? And he wasn't really pushing it; he was just saying that how he had gotten it and this and that. But that was enough to get Ted Cruz on the Senate floor and railing against because he knows he's going to score political points by that. 
but that's the climate that that we that we are in today here in this country and you know the kind of the the chaos that 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 we are living in today didn't start in a vacuum it just it didn't start with trump it didn't start it started in your opinion in in the 80s yeah with uh with ronald reagan and a sort of a of of a, of a war against the working class well, even before that, in 1971, uh, this guy, uh, this lawyer named Louis C. Powell, uh, had a friend who was uh, one of the bigwigs in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and he says, we're getting tired of these Vietnam vets and these uh, lefties uh, blaming us for the Vietnam War. Uh, just because we're making money off it doesn't mean that we started it, and uh, we want to Take away the conversation from them so um, people aren't listening to them. And can you help us? And uh, Powell, who up to that point, his claim of fame was uh, he went before the Supreme Court to argue that cigarettes were not um, addicting. So already staying on uh, less than firm ground. So he said, sure, let me whip something up. So he wrote up uh, 19 pages and he said, here's what you got to do. If you can't commit to this, then your fight is lost. And what it said was, you take over the schools, you you argue about all the things that uh, they're being taught, you uh, create think tanks, like uh, this one called ALEC, I don't know if you've heard of that, no. ALEC is the American Legislative Exchange Council. What they'll do is they'll go in to a, a, um, a state and talk to one of their favorite legislators and say, we want this law passed, here's the template, you just put your name on it and we're good to go. And then uh, uh, he'll gather his friends and they'll vote something in, uh, into law in that particular state. And they'll keep on doing that in other states until it becomes a federal law, at which point all their uh, conservative business folks are happy. And that's how this whole thing started, um, was uh, them uh, deciding to invest wholly in this uh, Powell memo or Powell manifesto, whatever you want to call it. Okay. And it's worked very successfully for the banks and, and uh, uh, these conservative businesses over the years. I had a, a handyman come into my house a couple of weeks ago. The first thing out of his mouth was, you know, these unions have ruined business in this country. And who else would he be talking for except the banks and the big corporations? Right. So it just amazed me that he would take that tactic. And, and so what I've done is I've created the McCrory Manifesto and say we need to take back that conversation. We need to take the words big business out and put in the people and uh, unions and, and take out capitalism and put in something else that might work uh, like um, democratic socialism it works for Sweden and Finland and Denmark and all those. So that should, should be in there. So this manifesto uh, has worked well for uh, the uh, business class over the last 40 years. And uh, we need to basically steal it from them because that would do it. But along came Reagan, and uh, oh, first of all, this was under Nixon that this was done in 1971. Nixon was so impressed, he appointed Lewis Powell to the Supreme Court himself. So he got to rule on a lot of issues down the line that uh, may have turned out differently if he hadn't been on the court. And Reagan was so impressed, he uh, created copies of this uh, memo for his whole cabinet to use and to live by. And even Trump used it, so... Uh, it's Interesting. Held, yeah, it's held up over time, and like I said, it talks about grabbing different parts of the the uh, the uh, 
society psyche out there and doing something about it. And Reagan went on to uh, do a lot of other things that I could rant and rave about for a couple of hours, but I know we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> so before we, we start talking about when the working class started getting exploited, when was a time where the working class was flourishing in in this country? Post-World War II, uh, we had the highest uh, income tax on business. They weren't complaining. And we had the highest success rate. One parent could stay home with the kids, and the other parent could work a full-time job. And that paid for sending the kids to, to college. It paid for food on the table, uh, a house to live in, all the... All the uh, things that we call the American dream. And uh, we've gotten away from that. Now you have to, uh, both parents have to work two or three jobs to make the kind of money to where you can actually live. And th there's something wrong with that equation. That's why I said capitalism killed the middle class. So, okay, so if, if, the, if you're saying that post-World War II was the was the moment for the working class when the when the middle class and the working class were flourishing in this country how much of that was due to the fact that uh the entire rest of the world had was basically destroyed and the american manufacturing base was the go-to base for the for the global community yeah there there's a very much merit to what you're saying there because you're right uh japan was a um flat on its back and uh, in fact a few years, a few year, for quite a few years after that, anything that came from Japan was looked at as junk. Mm. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, Germany wasn't looking too good either. But a friend of mine, uh, a Hungarian gentleman, uh, was on a fishing trip with uh, there was a uh, German guy in the boat and a Japanese guy, and they were laughing, saying that uh, they won the war because um, we are out there being the world's police. Uh, and uh, they were allowed to go into manufacturing and, and doing all sorts of things because they didn't have to uh, prop up a military. So they, that's from their point of view, they won the war. Right, because they had the resources to be able to to invest in other things other than other than the military. Exactly. Okay, so then, so income, you know, the 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 forties and the fifties, and the fifties is usually viewed as the as the moment for for the for the for the middle class and the working class correct yes. okay so so around what time did did that start to to change and what policies were were supported by who and uh this is your moment fdr fdr uh created the the new deal and he created uh, the national labor relations board and that uh put us working people on a uh, a level playing field with business at the time. But it wasn't until two years later, after he died and after the war, 1947, that they came with, up with the Wagner Act. And the Wagner Act uh, included in it right to work. The right to work said that you didn't have to belong to a union, that you don't have to pay dues. Right. And, uh, so um, that uh, dried up uh, a lot of money that uh, unions could use to organize and to negotiate and to, um, to fight grievances in, in the, on the shop floor. So that uh, um, pretty much um, ruined whatever we had as far as a level playing field with business. And they've been looking for their chance to 
to get back, and that was it. And as history has it, Eleanor Roosevelt was fighting tooth and nail after after her husband's death to stop the Wagner Act. Yes, you got it. And then she went to her demise, a, a very uh, broken and disappointed woman. Yeah, and that's because power was taken away from the laborer. Yes, because she's the one that introduced FJR to the whole concept of uh, the labor movement. And uh, she was the one that, that convinced him that uh, this was a worthy cause. And uh, he wasn't too big on the, the guys with the cigars in the back room. He mm-hmm. was more about the working individual. So um, he, he did a lot for us, and, and we need to get back to those days. That's why a lot of people liked Bernie Sanders, because he talked the way that F- FDR did. And okay, so and then at what point did did the uh, did the did the train start to uh, get off? You know, go off the rails. Um, I think, well, Reagan. It's too bad because Reagan showed such promise when he was the head of the uh, Screen Actors Guild, but he got on this kick about anti-communism. So he was going to fight the, the big bad bear of communism, and so he got elected on that. He, uh, before he did that, he kind of laid waste to uh, uh, mental hospitals here in California. He actually uh, said, oh, we don't need those, uh, uh, and he closed them all up, and all these people were suddenly out on the streets. All these, uh, and that's where a lot of the homeless first came from were these uh, poor mental patients that, that were released and had nowhere to go. So that started, and then when he uh, became president, he decided to he would try something called the, uh, what was then called the Maquiladora experiment. There were these plants, uh, uh, plants on the other side of the Rio Grande in Mexico that uh, a lot of big businesses like uh, Zenith and, and other companies who decided to go over there and uh, put their manuf- manufacturing base in Mexico. And that was the start of what we later came to know as NAFTA. Because yeah. it, it was called an experiment, but it was... It was the uh, the great uh, transition to um, to uh, what later became NAFTA, and NAFTA came about because Bill Clinton uh, he was a very successful president because he came in he's from a right to work state, Arkansas, and he uh, stole the 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 Republican agenda. They couldn't very well find him on a lot of things because it was from their own playbook, right, including NAFTA. So okay, so then, so then, it's, uh, so then, around it's around the eighties that we started seeing you know, the good-paying jobs start to start to globalize and start to shift out of out of America. Exactly. Yeah, um, it was um, the time when economists point to that say that's when wages flatlined because all of a sudden uh, that money wasn't worth what it had been before. Uh, a while back, before that, they got rid of the. Gold standard. So, you might point at, uh, most economists would probably point th- uh, at that as the beginning of the end. But, but as far as working people, it was when the McKeela doors were uh, open for business for Americans. If if you listen to somebody like, uh, let's say, like a Sean Hannity, uh, he would point to the Reagan to the Reagan era as one of the shining moments for the for the American worker. As far as you know, the unemployment levels, um, you know, he saved America from the disaster that was Jimmy Carter. 
um, you know, um, the longest time, you know, p- peacetime, prosperity. This is the way they speak about, about Ronald Reagan. I was I was a huge fan of I was propagandized a lot when when I was um, successfully propagandized a lot when I was in college because I would listen to people like uh, Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck. Right. And now that I look back, I I, I notice that I would make what I call now the, the arguments of the oligarchs, Fine. you know, is the is the every argument I was making only benefit one class and that's the rich. Right. You got it. He, and I justified it in in many different ways. Freedom. Right. That's the big one. Freedom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need f- the freedom for the peop- for the working class to be able to get screwed by the rich. That's called freedom. <laughs> exactly. It, 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 I mean, that's 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 what they call it, freedom, right? Or, uh, you know, move, I mean, just to mention real quick, we'll get to it. But uh, the arguments that I that I used to make was the reason for the 2008 financial collapse was because people made stupid decisions. They got into mortgages that they couldn't afford. There was some of that also, but that, uh, there was some of that. But there was a lot of predatory li- lending that went on too. There was a lot of it. There was a lot of it. My point <laughs> is that that the arguments I was making was the arguments of the banks. Uh-huh. You know, it was is the arguments that would let the banks off the hook. Yeah. As you know, and I don't know how you feel about the Tea Party. We'll we'll get to that. But the Tea Party was born out of out of the. Uh, out of the Great Recession and the propaganda that that came out that that came out after that, but but yeah, I mean, if, like I said, if you listen to people like Sean Hannity, whatever they you know they you know they view Reagan as this great American hero for the working class, but if you look at the numbers and if you look at the facts, you start to see that the middle class started dwindling around this time. Yeah, um, that started when he was uh, actually right before he got elected. He, um, the air traffic controllers were saying, look, the skies are getting crazy out there and it's getting dangerous and there's something that may happen, <laughs> a lot of uh, plane crashes and things like that. They tried to warn the nation and Reagan said, um, I understand your plight. I saw the letter he wrote to, to PATCO, which is the air traffic controllers union at the time, and he said, if you guys help me get elected, I'll help you. And so... They went to bat for Reagan. They helped him get elected. And then he turned around and said, if you don't report to work on Monday, you're all fired. <laughs> and that was that uh, shot over the bow that everybody in labor went, whoa. Yeah, no, no friend of the working man. He would go to business before he broke us. Yeah, no friend of the working man, huh? Not at all. Okay. So then so then we're so then moving past moving past Reagan, uh we start to see the uh the assault on the on the middle class. Let's let's get into Bill Clinton and then we can get into NAFTA. Um what what are your your think out loud about about that era for me if you can? Um well, as I say in my book, um uh, Bill came in and everybody uh, started singing that song by the by uh, by Fleetwood Mac, uh, uh, have, uh, something about tomorrow. Thinking about tomorrow. Right. I said we should have been thinking about tomorrow because that's when <laughs> NAFTA came along. <laughs> and uh, I like how Robert Reich has reinvented himself because he was one of the ones. He was uh, 
uh, Clinton's uh, Secretary of Labor, and he pushed NAFTA big time. <coughs> Excuse me. I was uh, doing jury duty about, about the, right after the vote was taken, and I walked into the jury room, and there was my congressman, Howard Berman. And Howard had uh, carried water for Clinton, and he got a lot of, uh, he bent a lot of arms to vote for NAFTA. And I said, how could you do that, congressman? And he said, don't worry, it's going to create a lot of jobs. And I said, I hope you're right. But unfortunately, he was wrong. Yeah. Uh, 700,000 people lost their jobs over in manufacturing over the years following uh, the uh, um, signing of NAFTA. So, um, uh, like I said, Clinton uh, stole the agenda of the Republican Party. So they really didn't have anything to bitch about except his wife. And the blowjobs <laughs> heard around the world. Single payer healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, the, there was also something that happened under under Bill Clinton that d doesn't get talked about a lot because it was viewed as a victory, as a bipartisan victory, and it was the repeal of Glass Steagall. Oh yes, um, yeah. There's always been some kind of attempt. Let's see, refresh my memory. Glass-Steagall is the gold standard, right? No, no. Glass-Steagall made it. Uh, so, so Glass-Steagall was was implemented during FDR, and it made it illegal for for community banks to to make invest to make uh, to make investments. So, uh, so in in other words, there was there was a separation between investment banks and community banks. Yeah, and I think that's how um, credit unions got screwed too in the process. Right. Um, yeah, um, and uh, it's come full circle to tell you the truth. Uh, uh, credit unions are now uh, actually we just passed a law to create a state bank in California. So there's there's some light at the end of that tunnel. Finally. Yep. And, uh, so. I'm, and and I, and I mentioned Glass Steagall because, uh, I mean, as you can see, we're 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 on a timeline, and we're I'm 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 trying to get to the uh, the crash of 2008, ah. and and so Glass Steagall plays a very important role in in that situation because yes. you know uh, about a decade later after the repeal of Glass Steagall, we had the, the 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 mortgage crisis, and that was because you know banks were able to to. Uh, you know, basically play wild, wild west with with people's mortgages, you know, and, that, yes. and that wouldn't have right. been allowed before the repeal of Glass-Steagall. Actually, uh, but, well, one, of, one of Reagan's kids was involved in the last debacle before that, which was back in the late 70s, and that was the savings and loan crisis. Right. And uh, a lot of people forget about those, uh, but that was another case where, where uh, big business got in over their heads and uh, we, the people, had to bail them out. Yeah, and, you see, and the the kind of the insidious thing about this this entire conversation is that generally, when you ask the average person, you know, to you know to kind of go back and think about or re relive the eighties and nineties, they're generally looked at as good times. Yeah. Right, because the effects of these policies weren't weren't hitting home yet. Well, there's been uh, a couple of years ago, somebody did a, a survey of um, how people uh, think the country is doing and what it's really doing financially. And uh, people were saying, oh, we're doing pretty good. We're doing okay. And yet the numbers showed that 
they were way out of whack and that, that all the money was going to the rich. So it, uh, it certainly woke me up. Even though I had that sneaking suspicion before that. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's um, people's perception is not necessarily what's really going on. And, and I can blame the media on that, and I can blame uh, our politicians. For a friend of mine, a comedian, once said that uh, a politician is somebody who uh, li uh, lies to the media and then believes everything he reads in the papers. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then. Okay. So then. You know, as as Bill Clinton is 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 on his way out, we we get into the we get into the two thousands, and enter George W. Bush. W what do you make of how nine eleven changed the way Americans view their their place in the world, as far as the 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 necessity that that we need to be involved in in uh, in in global affairs, not just late, not just um, as a passive role, but as an as an aggressive role. Yeah, um, what people tend to forget is uh, that wasn't the first time the World Trade Center had been attacked. It right, happened in nineteen eighty. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, it, it happened before, and that should have given us some kind of warning. But uh, for us to be the, the world's police, I think that role came about uh, during World War II because, uh, for instance, in World War II, England told Australia, of their own people, that uh, you're on your own because you're way down there below the equator. And uh, the U.S. said, we've got your back. So um, they, they still love the U.S., for that reason, so yeah, yeah, that's a role that's 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 permeated till today. Exactly. So um, it's not a new thing, but it, it's uh, more in the public awareness. And now we don't have a draft anymore. We we uh, have a volunteer army, and uh, that has also been a, a mixed blessing because a volunteer army means you don't have the the scrutiny of uh, mom and pa anymore looking at uh, how many body bags are coming back. Yeah. <clears throat> because they wanted to be there right. so it's, it's a, a sad situation and I, um, I the only way that we can possibly move out of that role is if somebody steps up and nobody's going to step up um, except maybe China and uh, we're not going to like that if they do yeah I, yeah, I see you know I, I see the, uh, the, the the 2000s as the as the era of of mass of mass distraction, you know. So you know we're we're starting to get into an era where where you know social media is starting. These companies are starting to to uh, to, to lift up, and you know technology. Everybody's starting. You know these, these cell phones are starting. I remember I got my first cell phone when I was around two thousand four, two thousand and five. You know that I mean I lived my entire life without needing a cell phone. Exactly. You know, then suddenly we get these, we get these, you know, handheld, you know, app, you know, app, you know, phones, and you know, and we can't, we can't keep off of them. You know, we're. Um, so, so, I mean, so there's so many things culturally that are happening that they each have to get, you have to be taken into account if if we're to to do justice to. 
to a to to a rendition of of how we got to to where we're at, right? You know the the divisions. Yeah, and and but can can you can you, can you pick that up one more time and hold it up yeah. for a couple of seconds? A little bit higher. There we go. Right there. Right there. I I, I wrote this book because I realized that I had lived through a lot of the history that you're talking about, and I wanted to offer a, a warning to the generations coming behind me that uh, these things, uh, this is where they started, this is where they're at today, this is where they're headed. So I included things like the gig economy, universal basic income, all those kinds of things that uh, that are looking that everybody's looking at now. AI, AI is going to. Uh, a lot of us writers say, "Oh, there's no way they can replace us," but there is uh, an AI uh, writing program out there now that you just give it a, a couple of topics and it'll write out uh, your whole report for you. I've seen uh, that. I've seen that. <laughs> scary stuff. It's going to affect everybody. <laughs> And, and so you know, I also want to you know talk about the the role of uh, of you know capitalism, and you know crony capitalism, the differences between the two in your mind, if there if there are any differences, because some will say that capitalism just naturally leads to crony capitalism, and uh, it certainly looks that way, yeah, yeah, and so but let, let let's let's continue on this trajectory, so. Okay. So, so you know, nine eleven happens. You know, we're we're in Iraq, we're in Afghanistan. A lot of my classmates, uh, around two thousand four, two thousand five, family members are over in Iraq and Afghanistan. Around this time, around two thousand four, two thousand five, the people start to get a sense that maybe these wars aren't worth fighting, and maybe we just got we got suckered in into these wars for no good reason. Maybe. Just maybe, we were lied to. That's that starts that starts coming out a little bit because you know after the after the attack, the majority of the people were 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 gung ho. They they wanted they wanted to to go into Afghanistan, yeah. you know. And um, Iraq was a little bit more of a harder sell, but as you know, Colin Powell did did you know yeah. a, a magic trick over there at the UN and and was able to you know get us into Iraq. But around two, 2005, 2006, you know, the, 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 the wool starts, starts coming down and people start to see actually what's really going on. And without any room to breathe, the, the collapse, the, the, the housing crisis happens. Now, if, if you can, can, can you explain the, the housing crisis for the layman? Uh, I'm smarter people than me. I'm trying to do that. So let's, <laughs> let's kind of wade into it here. Um, the, the, it happened because um, everybody was uh, pushing the idea that every American should be able to afford a home. Right. So uh, it started with uh, all good intentions, as most evil things do. Um, and um, they were they were finding houses. I know that the labor movement here in LA were were all gung ho. They were uh, putting thing, uh, public releases out, public relations releases out saying that uh, so many people are now owning homes. And and I saw these homes going up in, uh, in my neighborhood. And there, um, where I lived was like a, a $200,000 home, and that was pretty nice. But the ones across the street, the ones that were being paid for in 2008, were 750000 I said, how can these people afford to live in these houses? And mm -hmm. they... 
a lot of cases, they were just waiting for the hammer to drop before they had to move on. Uh, but in a lot of cases, they thought um, because of the, the picture that was painted by the realtor, realtor or, or the, uh, uh, the bank that, uh, yeah, we, we can afford this because our wages are going to rise also. So eventually it's going to come to the point where it's really affordable for us or even cheap. And uh, those days didn't come, did they? Absolutely not. So people started losing their homes uh, left and right. And it, uh, it, it probably soured a lot of your generation on ever uh, going. You probably wondered if you're ever going to be able to afford a home. Right, right. And that's that's the... Um you know that's 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 the crux of the issue. Like a lot of my ad, a lot of my audience are about thirty somethings. They're about my age, and so when when the when the financial when the when the housing crisis happened, I was actually working at a surveying company. I was about eighteen years old, nineteen years old. I was a computer drafter, and we would do land surveys for for how for you know for title companies, and and around two thousand five, two thousand six, it was booming booming you know we we were we were getting you know hired to do you know survey after survey after survey because houses were being built you know con, you know contracting co companies were were i mean they were everywhere you you would see subdivisions being built everywhere right because it was the the, the standards for who can buy a home had dropped so low that anybody could buy a home right it's true and so yep. Right. And like you said, like the intentions, the intentions of the government might have been good. You know, I, I, I I'm not really sold on that, you know, but. <laughs> OK, <laughs> but uh, but I know Bush passed. What was it? The American Dream Act? Yeah. You know, which which did exactly that. You know, it lowered it lowered the the standards of who can own a home. It lowered the down payment. In some cases, I believe that you didn't even have to have a down payment. That's true. You yeah. you didn't even have to show proof of income in in many cases. Anybody could buy a home. Did you at any point in those years look over your shoulder like how long can this last? I mean, I, I I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it at that time. Oh, I, I did. I, I went on NPR radio to the show called The Motley Fool, and I I've heard said, of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I said, when is this bubble going to burst? I said that in about 2007, and uh, they had no answer. They they thought that it was uh, imminent too. So um, go figure. Well, it's it's funny because there's a lot of people that saw it coming, and there's a there's a lot of people that were whistling past the graveyard as well. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, a lot a lot of people in positions of power, in positions of influence. You know, uh, people you know saying that this this can go on forever, baby. You know. Yeah. Uh, and as I mean, unfortunately, as we know, everything that comes up must come down. You know, but especially, especially with the games that the banks were playing on yeah. the American people. You know, the, 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 there's this podcast hosted by a by a journalist named David Sirota. It's called Meltdown. It was exactly about the uh, about the financial collapse, and some some of the stories that came out about the tactics that banks would use on people. As you know, you know, I mean, APRs. You know. Um, you know yeah. the, the the interest rates that were adjustable that uh, that would get people in the door, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and six months later, the the interest rate would jump jump up to something that was unmanageable, 
right? And people would would get screwed out of a home. My best friend's family got screwed out of a home that way, you know. Um, and my mentality at that time was, well, the, well, you should have known what you were getting yourself into, right? You should have. I was very libertarian in my thinking, right? Nobody put a gun to your head and told you to sign that contract, did they? And uh, I mean, well, that's that. What an argument, right? I mean, if, if like, do you remember that building in 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 Florida that collapsed? Yeah. Recently, it was like a hotel, right? Yeah. That that collapsed. I heard a libertarian making an argument. Well. Well, people should have known whether the, the whether the inspections were up to date or not. I'm thinking to myself, dude, are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> yeah, I just drove by an area uh, that um, what used to be known as a flood zone, and they're building houses left and right right in that area. So uh, you got to wonder, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you see, but but you know, the, a lot of this libertarian mindset and at the time was that Alan Greenspan was was on the was on right. the Fed, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Before that, and this guy was the, an apostle of of Ayn Rand, you know, who's who's the queen of laissez-faire capitalism, you know, and so, I mean, these ideologies, you know, permeate through through our government, and you know, unfortunately, after Bill Clinton. Like you mentioned earlier, there was very, very little difference between you know Republican and Democrat as far as as the government's relationship to corporations, and you know, and the the the, the free wielding uh, ability of corporations to basically get away with anything, you know, and so you know the and we, you know we come full circle to to what that's given us today. Is the fact that there really is no difference between you know the the Democrat Party and the Republican Party? You know they fight over social issues and the culture war reigns, and at the end of the day, they're they're all beholden to the same dark money interests and the same lobbyists and the same corporations. Um, Do me a favor, call it the Democratic Party. Oh, the yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it, it's just it's just. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off on a, on a, on a tangent no, here. I understand but. what you're saying. You're, you're saying it's getting to be really hard to tell the difference between the parties, but that's not true. <laughs> well, um, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, uh, within the Democratic Party, uh, really, uh, the re reason why we haven't been able to take advantage of the splintering of the Republican Party is because we got our own little inner fighting going on. There's the neoliberals like Bill Clinton who right. said, you have to match uh, the Republicans dollar for dollar on elections. And how are you going to get those dollars? Uh, uh, oil, tobacco, big pharma. That's where all that money's coming from. And then there's um, the uh, um, ideologues within the Democratic Party called the progressives. And I happen to be one of them. And the progressives say, you can't take their money and still say that you're for the little guy because that's, that's uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth. So what we're trying to do is keep the party honest, while at the same time trying to find a way to uh, create uh, public financing of elections. That's been talked about for decades, and we should be able to get to that. But how honest is it being kept when you got President Joe Manchin completely derailing the the uh, the Biden agenda? I mean. I agree. The Democrat, the De Democratic Party, is completely beholden to people like Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin. Without them, the entire Biden agenda is completely derailed. 
I mean, Joe Manchin is a cold, Joe Manchin is a cold baron. I don't the Democratic know if, Party if, is not as good at whipping people into shape as the Republican Party. That's for sure. That's for sure. No, because uh, we're, we're, we're the party with the big town. We take everybody in our party, and uh, we don't uh, discriminate. So, um, but uh, to tell you the truth, um, I think that we he's been able to uh, get things passed that a lot of people didn't think was possible. Maybe watered down quite a bit, but he has got very watered and, down. Uh, yeah. Today, a, a jobless claims uh, claims came out, and it's uh, at a 52-year low for uh, unemployment. 52 years. Well, that's, so I mean, that's, yeah, well, that that is good news. Um, I don't know if you also saw, but the, the last couple of months, the jobs reports that were coming in were a little disappointing, right? Yeah. Um, th- there was a report that wasn't really covered in the media that those numbers were off. Those numbers were off and that the, 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 that the, the report for the job numbers were actually better than expected. That the, 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 they were actually – Better than expected because the you know the surveys that are sent out to, to to businesses right weren't getting returned by by companies that were experiencing high stress levels. In other words, the the companies that were more uh, likely to be hiring, right? And so the the companies that were experiencing less stress levels were the ones that were sending these surveys back. But when these surveys came back, they were able to to redo the numbers and they realized that actually. You know they they're they are keeping up with their with their employment goals, but I didn't see that anywhere in the media. Yeah, I know. Um, everything is put into terms of a, a race or something, or they like playing the both sides against each other because that makes for dramatic TV and uh, right. race. So um, we've seen a lot of it in our lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, I know that. You see, and, and I'd, I'd like to ask you about that, about the, um, but we'll, but we'll we'll get to it about the the woke, the woke, uh, you know, you know, part of the of the Democratic Party and and the um, and the uh, the not so woke part of it and the <laughs> battle and the battle that's going on there and whether you think whether you think it's good or not, but but let, let's uh, we'll, but we'll 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 reach the we'll reach the current area. Let's let's get through the 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 financial right. collapse of of, of two thousand and eight. So. People start losing their homes when the when the bubble burst, and uh, Barack Obama is elected in two thousand eight with a promise to to bail people out directly for uh, you know to to help them save their homes. So you know TARP passes and a lot of fuckery starts happening behind the scenes, right? Uh, you know Timothy Geithner is you know gets uh, you know gets voted into you know to uh, to uh, okay. To what? To save the day. To save the day, and you know, basically take charge of the of the TARP program. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you know about Timothy Geithner. You know this this oh, guy yeah. is <laughs> this yeah. guy is uh, is the son of Wall Street, right? Uh, and and so behind the scenes, as people are losing their homes. News comes out that these that these banking companies and these insurance companies, AIG, that they're giving their CEOs bonuses with taxpayer money. Yep. As people are losing their homes. And what do you think that does to the to the national psyche? Uh, it uh, was a, another low point in our and our many low points over the last two hundred years. Um, I, I I was aghast that he would bring in people like Geithner. 
because it was letting the fox into the hen house. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that uh, nobody needed to be any kind of pundit to know that that was a bad idea. Yeah. And so, and so then, you know, Obama gets there, there, he, he was having a town hall meeting and he gets questioned about this, about the lack of transparency. Yeah. Um, I, I forget who the questioner was, but it was a member of the audience. And, and he basically, you know, he kind of dropped the ball on how to answer. And he basically says, I'll get back to you on that. You know, uh, the question was, you know, you promised us that you, that you, that you were going to, that you were going to be transparent in how these, and how the TARP program is being is being handled and yeah we know we'll I'll, I'll get back to you i think we've been more transparent than the other guys but uh but I'll, I'll i'll get back to you and and so then so then uh he makes a speech following that where he's saying okay so look here's we, we, we've, we here's what we're gonna do we're going to bail out the people directly so that you can stay in your homes and that was a high point, but then as the months passed, there was there was more fuckery happening behind the scenes, and it, it and it turned out that the TARP bill actually gave the uh, the the the, uh, the secretary of the treasury full control on how the money gets spent, and he changed the rules behind the scenes completely to the point where even Congress, where even people from the House and the Senate were pissed off about it because they felt like the like the rug had been pulled out from, from sure. underneath them. Right. And so the money went straight to the banks. And so Obama makes a speech after this where where where, where he's saying that the, the, instead of bailing out the banks, they're going to bail out the people. Immediately on, I think there was, it was on C, CNBC. There was a speech that started the Tea Party movement. It was by what is his name? Um, on it, and, it, and it happened on the Wall Street floor, and he was saying, uh, "Obama, are you hearing us? Uh, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not here to bail out these losers." What was his name? Do, do you remember? Do you remember that speech? Uh, somewhat, but I, I don't remember who it was either. Was it Rick? Um, oh. I, I don't. Santorum? No, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't Santorum. It was. Uh, he was a pundit, but he was a uh, a Wall Street pundit, and he's he's sitting he's he's sitting down at the at, at at Wall Street with with a bunch of bankers behind him, and he's making the speech against communism and how Obama is um, oh, is uh, Rick Rick Santelli. Oh, okay. Rick Santelli, and uh, that started. That was the the initials, you know, beginnings of the Tea Party movement, right? And Glenn Beck jumped on it. Glenn Beck jumped on it, and then yes. this whole Tea Party movement began. And I was huge at the time on the Tea Party. I thought it was the greatest thing since since you know since the real Tea Party. You know, I thought this was the real what, what America needed. You know, small government at the time when we actually needed government to step in. 
that was the that was the insidious thing about the propaganda that was coming out of of the Glenn Becks and you know out of out of Wall Street was that at the time that we actually needed the regulation and needed the government it got framed in such a way to where any government intervention was was uh, was coming was coming against your freedom. Yeah, and, and somebody of course, said they wanted to uh, strangle it in the bathtub. Or something like that. <laughs> I, I, I forget who that was, but I, I, I did hear about that. But then this Tea Party, you know, revolution happens, right? With a bunch of people fighting against they don't even know what, right? There was this one sign where this this lady was holding up we was holding up a, a placard that said, Get your government hands off my Medicare. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody unclear on the concept. Okay. <laughs> exactly. But it's but it's but it was all based on emotion. Sure. It was all based on emotion. They, they were angry about something, but they didn't know what. I think you found uh, the origins of Trump there. Exactly. Exactly. They were angry about something, but they didn't know what they were angry about. So they needed the help of these charlatans to kind of guide them in the right direction, right? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, it was the wrong direction, right? Because how can you have you know, we we get to Trump and suddenly you have this guy that's talking for the little person, but doing doing the bidding of the corporations. Yeah, and so it's interesting the way the way things played out, and and the kind of you know people that were able to to take advantage to take advantage of 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 a crisis for their own political gain. Exactly. Right. So, okay. So then we get, so then, you know, we have an angry, an angry populace, right? They don't trust the old neoliberal order anymore, right? You know, they know that the system failed them. They know that they got screwed over. 401ks were wiped out. People committed suicide. Um, the gig economy was born. People were barely making ends meet. Housing, you know, was off the table for a lot of people my age, you know. Wages were at an all-time low, you know. But people were hurting, and the rich were getting richer. Not only were they getting richer, they were blatantly getting richer, and they were waving it in your face with your own tax money. God, what an ugly feeling! I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting angry just just thinking about it. Hang I'm on, is angry. it is it, is it uh, for good? <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. Uh, and so then. We we get Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah, Hillary Clinton, the representation of everything I just mentioned. Yes, versus this charlatan who was able to position himself as the champion of the working class. Yeah, that's why I was for Bernie. I I, I had met Hillary back in '92, right before Bill got there. The uh, nod to be our presidential candidate, and she seemed really sharp to me, very, very intelligent woman. What the problem was back when she was first lady and trying to get us health care, um, the Republicans uh, made up all sorts of lies and things like that mm -hmm. about her, and she never ever refuted them. She probably thought, "Well, my actions speak louder than words," mm -hmm. but she really should have said, "These things you're saying aren't true; they're they're lies." And she didn't do that. So uh, your generation came up uh, believing all this stuff because nobody was saying that it's not true. And uh, so when it came election time, 
you didn't want to vote for her. No. I didn't want to vote for her because of all the other things that you mentioned. Um, because she came on that neoliberal thing, and I, I really didn't know how much of an influence her husband would have on her. I saw how much influence he had on Obama. So, um, and, and that's that's where uh, Obama went wrong. He tried to do the same thing as Bill and try to take the Republican agenda for his own, but they wouldn't have a black guy take their agenda. They, right. they couldn't see that happen. So uh, along comes, um, and uh, Hillary played all sorts of tricks to wipe out Bernie, so he wasn't considered, even though he was drawing stadiums full of people. And yeah. he had all these great ideas that weren't radical. They were ideas that harken back to FDR, you know, uh, tuition-free college. People just called it free college, which, you know, uh, was said with a, a sneer, usually, because... Uh, they said there's no way you can afford it. Uh, by the way, our community colleges here in California are once again free. Um, but um, in the meantime, um, he got wiped out, and so you had uh, the lesser of two evils, so to speak. And um, I, I still don't know what happened, but I want to understand there was maybe a little bit of collusion with the Russians that uh, helped push the election in a certain direction. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't buy that last bit. I, I, I just think it was a failure of politics when it came to Hillary Clinton. She, you know, she didn't campaign along the Rust Belt. Um, she, she, you know, took things for granted. Uh, she actually wanted Trump to, 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 to be the one that, that, that she ran against. You know, um, yeah. she was living in a bubble. She was living in a bubble, and you know, yeah. she thought that, you know, that she, that it was hers. You know, she thought that it was hers, and you know, and she got she got caught with a guard down. You know, she put a guard down, and and, and Trump took it. Yeah, she I, was. I, I, I don't think she Virginia. realized how unpopular she was. I know she was in West Virginia talking to miners, and she said, "Get used to the fact that you're going to have to find another job." Yeah, what a message, huh? Yeah. Yeah, what a message. And, and you contrast that with what Trump was saying at the time, you know, um, we're bringing back manufacturing and we're bringing back this, you know, and anything for a soundbite, this guy, yeah. you know, yeah. because as we as we now know, you know, ma manufacturing's were at a net loss under under Donald Trump um, during during his, his presidency. But. Um, but, yeah, OK, so we're we're, we're at 2016 Donald Trump. Uh, wins wins the presidency, right? And so there 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 is a quite a bit of a, there's a sleight of hand that that he's able to to uh, to to pull on the American people. He inherits an economy that's on the rebound, right? He inherits an economy that is by all measures current measures that we use the stock market, GDP, you know, unemployment. I don't think those are accurate measures to 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 measure the health of the of the average American person, but you know that's no. what we're given. Exactly. Right, but every, but by every you know standard measure that we use, he inherits a booming economy. So yeah. he's able to manipulate the data and convince people that uh, all of that is because of him. Yes. That you know that the that the that because of him we became you know gas independent, oil oil independent, you know not knowing that all all the groundwork had already been laid. And you know, and the that the stock markets was already hitting records. As a matter of fact, if 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 you were to look at Obama's, I think last three, uh, or last you know term in office, he created more net jobs 
than Trump did in his in his uh, in his four years. If that's if you don't even include the COVID pandemic, right? Uh, and so, but he's able to convince people that that he's the, the he's the economic dream that he's that he's working for for the for the for the working person. But you know, but all that does not happen unless people are willing are willing uh, to 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 hear it out. Unless people, you know, are just aching for something different, and that aching for something different, what what is that? What 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 is going on in the minds and the hearts of the American people that they're willing to take a chance? And even even in twenty twenty four, the Republican Party has not abandoned Trump at all. I even know. after even after the stop the steal, you know, anti democracy, anti constitution movement, and the Republicans are the ones that claim that they're the champions of the Constitution, and you know, and yada yada yada. It's all lip service. We know that, but. What is it that's happening in America that people are so desperate that they're willing to give this guy another crack at it? One, he is a successful businessman, and uh, he's uh, never held office. I heard somebody say that, uh, well, that's great. I'm going to have my mechanic do my teeth next time I uh, go to the dentist. (laughs) Um, But uh, one of the things is this whole tough guy image. Because that's why we got um, Reagan, and that's why we got Schwarzenegger here in California, and now uh, this guy. Because they all have this tough guy TV image, and uh, people bought into it, and they thought, yeah, this is the guy I want running my country. You're right. So uh, it's a celebrity thing. Tough celebrity. <laughs> yeah, they, did, did you see that scene where they're, uh, I think it's a G8 summit, or was it G7 now? Where you know he's trailing behind the the group of leaders, and he tries to work his way up to the front. He pushes, yes. pushing all these leaders aside just to yeah. you know, kind of you know, reorganizes his coat just to, just to get like this, <laughs> that's how this guy is, huh? Just a photo op. Yep. Also, saw him squeeze an arm of a biker. <laughs> like, oh, you're my boyfriend. <laughs> Jeez, um, it's it's it's. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, yeah, just the, I couldn't understand why people didn't see through him. And um, but yet, a third of the country still thinks he's something great. I mean, a third of the country still thinks he's going to get reinstated. I know. Pretty scary, huh? Yeah. Well, that's well, that's 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 kind of what I'm talking about. Is like that's not born out of if things were great. Let's say if, they, if, 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 you know, if people were happy, Donald Trump never gets elected. If, if, if the system was That's working, true. if the system was working and if, if, if people, if people were getting educated, if, uh, if, you know, if people were healthy because they had, because they had, we have a good healthcare system, people have good jobs, good paying jobs with pensions, you know, people could you know, raise a family on a single job. If we had all of that. Donald Trump never gets elected, right? Because his 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 message was economic, and his and his message was and his message was a good one. It was a good one because you had so much crossover between Bernie supporters and Trump supporters, yeah. right? Because, I mean, people did feel like they were screwed over. They did see their towns gutted out. They did see their manufacturing base ship overseas, and we wanted somebody bold. Yes, 
Yeah. And instead, what we got is just an egomaniac who just talked a lot of shit and, you know, and gave tax cuts to the rich. Right. And, you know, and, and played the culture war. Yes, that's that's very true. And I that's why I adopted the same and I'm calling facetiously McCrory memo, because if we started taking back those conversations and realized uh, and had think tanks and all that, I mean, we got the Economic Policy Institute and a couple of others. But what we need <clears throat> is to get into our schools and, and talk to uh, people about unionism and labor. And that's why I, I love your generation. because You guys get it. You, you, um, there's a lot of, uh, as you used the word before, awoke individuals now who realize that for you to have any kind of stability in your life in order to be able to raise a family and have that house that you're talking about, um, you have to look at the idea that maybe the labor movement is going to um, give you a large voice to accomplish these things. Right. And they're doing it in droves now. There's all sorts of union movements going on. Uh, I think uh, they called October's Striketober. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do we get strikes happening at John Deere? Yeah. Um, yeah, and a, and a whole lot of a whole lot of other places, and and the companies are giving in. Yes. Yeah. So so right now so right now so okay so Trump gets like the pandemic happens, and you know and the government is trying like crazy to get people back to work, but yeah. people just aren't having it. Yeah, they and, call it. Uh, Anthony Klotz from uh, Texas A and M said at first they called it uh, the pandemic uh, um, epiphany. Pandemic <laughs> epiphanies. He was talking about um, yeah because um, a lot of people realize that if I'm going to go back to this job and it was so insecure, I I need to uh, to start thinking up, and they, they're going for bigger and better jobs that. Maybe just as insecure because a lot of companies went under. Um, right. One of my favorite uh, electronic stores, Fry's, went under, and that surprised the hell out of me because I thought they were doing great. Uh, and uh, you see that, the, uh, like earthquake uh, country here in LA, you realize that the ground's not that firm underneath you. <laughs> so what do you do? You you try to find something that. Uh, if you're going to go through those kinds of uh, um, turmoil, you might as well uh, do it in a place that pays a little better. <laughs> right, right, yeah, and um, and so yeah, that, that's 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 exactly the point. Is that you know during the pandemic, people were able to st to save money because you know restaurants weren't open, and you know they weren't they weren't going out spending you know on you know on restaurants and a lot of stores were closed, so they were able to 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 you know to pad themselves up a little bit to now be able to hold out for a better job, yep, or to better to better renegotiate uh, better pay. You know, and I have there's I have friends that are running as Republicans that, you know, portray themselves as, you know, the fighters of the working class who are criticizing people as lazy and, you know, and, you know, castigating them for being on unemployment a little bit longer and not understanding the reasons why this is happening. People are sick and tired of busting their ass working up, working for seven, twenty five, eight, nine bucks an hour. Thank you. You know. You want people to get back to work? Give them a wage that's going to give them some dignity. You know, yeah. give, provide them, you know, some benefits that's going to make it worth it. 
You know, because there's a lot of people that put up with a lot of shit through the pandemic, and that you know that they, they weren't be they weren't able to be there with, with their with their with, with their family with their kids. You know, a lot of women just decided to stay home and say, you know, I don't got to put up with it with a seven twenty five uh, an hour job with a bullshit boss when I can be with my kid. Yeah. You know, and I mean, just uh, people basically, long story short, started rethinking life. And rethinking their relationship to to uh, to their to their employer and to their employment, and started recalculating the importance, what things they they valued more, right? And a lot of people don't like that, but more importantly, the oligarchs don't like that. The people with the money don't like that because they want they want to to pay for they they, they don't want to pay for 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 their labor. They 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 like getting away with cheap labor. Yeah, you know, and for a long time they did. They did, and I, I see this as an opportunity to be able to to change that dynamic at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I want to do what I can as an individual, as somebody from the labor movement, to uh, encourage all those folks that are trying to to rebuild and and rebuild better. If you'll pardon the the phrase. <laughs> So, it's not right, just about the infrastructure; it's about lives too, though. Right, right, right. So, yeah. what, what what's the 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 McRory prescription? Let's say let what you if you have influence over 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 uh, the appropriate channels in government. What what policies are you pushing at this point? I would like to go back to what FDR did. Um, he uh, he had this little emblem that the shops put in there. Their window when they they had a good relationship with their their workers, and uh, the, so he rec he recommended and and told uh, told the public, you got to uh, shop at this business because they treat their workers right. Mm. And that's one of the things that we could do to, to start this whole conversation. And again, like I said, the McCrory Manifesto, it's all written up. It's it's going to, uh, to schools and saying this is this guy is a, is a union guy. He, this is what he does for a living, and this is the kind of money he can make because he is a union guy. And um, if we can get that conversation back, I, I'm not so sure that the, the way unions used to be are, are going to um, be able to make that transition. I think you're going to see uh, unions change in the way they do business also. You're not going to see those guys with cigars in the back room. You're going to see young people coming up and rising up because it has um, – a movement like that has to come from the bottom up right. in order to have any kind of sincere and uh, effort to to accomplish these things. But that's what I would do. I would, uh, I would take back the conversation and make laws that are passed in Congress and the Senate uh, having to do with working people instead of uh, in the favor of corporations and the wealthy. Yeah. I, I, so let, let's. So Joe Biden – Fancies himself the uh, you know the, the the greatest union president. What grade do you give him on that? I'd say um, C. A C. Explain that. A C because uh, he's making an effort. He is talking to the right people. <clears throat> I'm actually pleased with the new head of the AFL-CIO. A woman for the first time ever is the head of the AFL. CIO and she's on the, in the news every single day, talking up uh, unions and talking to working people. And uh, God bless her. I, I think 
that uh, she will keep him on the the, the, the right path because um, we're re, we're, the whole globe actually at this point is renegotiating, rebuilding, mm-hmm. rethinking everything. And uh, it's not just happening here that we're seeing the big quit or uh, what's the other name for it? The great resignation. The great resignation, yeah. Seeing that across the, uh, the world, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm enthused and encouraged by that, and I will do anything I can to support that kind of behavior because um, we have to take stock in ourselves. We have to realize that we're the ones running this country. Um, the rich and the corporations, they don't pay taxes. The poor don't pay taxes. Everything falls on our backs. So it should be uh, looking out for our best interests. Right. Right, and so the, the the Democratic Party, as as it stands right now, is in a bit of a of its own kind of um, tussle, of its own of its own battle, you know, between the old neoliberal order and between you know the the progressive wing, the started by you know Bernie Sanders. Um, exactly. How plagued though is this new progressive wing by this by this perception of wokeness? You know about the way that they that they speak. You know, uh, uh, yeah. the way that they go after you know the white man. Um, it's it's you know, I mean as as far as politics goes, how smart is that? How I mean, this, as a strategy, you know, you when you need people to vote for you, the the largest voting base in America, you you're, you're going to antagonize. You know, it just does it doesn't seem very smart. You know, um, what and what ways can maybe that they can, they can retool their their strategy to be able to appeal to a to a broader to a broader base? Actually, uh, we have a progressive caucus of the Democratic State Party, and I ran for vice president for that. I was unsuccessful because they. They had the, the vote stack already, but um, one of the things I was talking about was to be insidious and, and, and move into, um, into all the other caucuses so that you have a uh, progressive base in all the caucuses, and then you can work together to accomplish something. But instead, they've kind of been over here yelling and screaming and getting put down left and right because of the fact that, that they're not garnering the support from other organizations that they need to have that voice. Right. And uh, here in uh, California, the head of the Democratic Party is a guy named Rusty Hicks. He came from the labor movement. Well, you can't really say he came from the labor movement, but he's got some background in the labor movement. And uh, they put him, uh, they installed him to keep the status quo. And so far he's done an effective job of that because the guy, Amar Singh, who's in charge of the Progressive Caucus, wants to run his own show and he doesn't want to share the limelight. So mm. that's what you end up with is, is uh, somebody crying outside the door saying, let me in, let me in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have to, we have to be smarter. About this. Yeah. And even, even, you know, just basic messaging, you know, yes. of, you know, how just the tone deafness on how, um, it, it's going to be, you know, perceived by the American people. I'll give you an example: defund the police, right? Um, no, I mean, I mean, that's not going to work. Just as far as messaging, 
as far yeah, as branding great. goes, that's not going to work. You know, you can, you can, and I've heard them explain it, but there's so many different ways you can recraft that message to, oh, yeah. to not, you know, give that sour, that sour feeling in people, you know? Yes, I know. I, I, I yeah, we're not good at messaging. Black Lives Matter should have said Black Lives Matter too. And that was taking a lot of argument away from some people who thought they were just hoisting themselves up. Um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, our messaging is, is not good as Democrats. We're not known for our messaging. But you turn uh, every channel uh, on Sunday morning or whatever, meet the press and all those. And if it's a Republican talking, every word is almost exactly the, the same. You won't hear that from the Democrats. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, nobody beats the Republican machine at at, at messaging and at branding, and you, they, and you include that with you know the the media apparatus. You know, they're they're all in sync completely. You know, they're all talking about CRT. They're all talking about Big Bird. They're all talking about Dr. Seuss. They're all. I mean, they're all in cahoots. They're all in the messaging is 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 almost almost. I mean, beautiful to see if it were used in the right if it were used for the right for the right cause you yeah. know well you but, don't get that kind of sync uh, by being nice to people you get that by threats and uh, saying that if you don't toe the line we're going to find somebody to replace you next time you run for office yeah so and I, you, uh, and, you know there's there's one thing that that i i wish biden you know, had a little bit more of was that kind of uh, that negotiation minded, you know, especially that negotiation mind, that tough guy kind of, you know, the whole willing to put you on blast, like, like, you know, Joe Manchin, you know, look, dude, I know you're doing some shady shit over there where you're at. Either you play ball here or we're coming after you either way. You know, you want a military base and over, 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 over there where you're at, we'll give it to you. You know, you want this, but you're going to play ball. If not, we're coming after you. Christian cinema. What happened to you? You were on our side at one point and suddenly now you're taking these millions from, from these pharmaceutical lobbies. And, and, and now you're negotiating this down. That's not going to happen. Either you're going to play ball or, we're going to put you on blast. Joe Biden just yeah, doesn't he's seem too, to. He's too amiable. Yeah. He, he just doesn't have that. To accomplish big things, you need a big personality and you need to do and you, you need to push your weight. And I just I just don't see him as as the guy that's that's going to do that. What did you think of Bernie? I was never a fan of Bernie. In the past, because I. I had been a Republican conservative for a very, very, very long time, okay. right? After the whole, after tr I voted for Trump in 2016, um, up till around about two years ago, you know, I, I started to see the grift, and I started to see the the uh, just the bullshit artist that that he was, yeah. and that you know the kind of the 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 curtain the stage curtains just came down completely, and. The way the 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 Republican Party, the GOP, just you know, slavishly, you know, just ate everything that that this that this guy said, just turned me off completely. You know, it, I was turned off to everything that the you know the, the the principles that the GOP said that they stood for. How easily they were willing to to break them over over this guy. And yeah, I mean, nothing mattered. Nothing. All that it was culture war twenty four seven. They didn't get shit done. You know. You know the all, the only piece of legislation they passed was tax cuts for the rich. You know. Uh, 
it, I mean, that got me to rethink a whole lot of things. And I, and I came down to listen, if we're not fighting for working people and if we're not passing policies and standing with, with, you know, uh, with, with labor unions and if we're not, if we're not actively working to help the middle class and to help, you know, the lower classes, then what is it that we stand for? What is it that I stand for? You know, I've made arguments for the rich way too long. I argued for trickle down economics way too long. I read the Thomas Souls. I read the Milton Friedman's, you know, I, you know, I was very well versed in Austrian economics and Austrian theory. But at the end of the day, I realized that the arguments I was making in the, uh, under the guise of freedom was only making one class in this country more free and enslaving a, a whole a, the the entire middle class and the entire you know the lower classes to these people, you know, and so I definitely started to, to to retool my thinking and I and I realized that you know that Bernie Sanders you know his policies were fighting for the middle class they were fighting for the for the for the working man and I came away with a little more respect for. For Bernie Sanders than than I than I'd ever had before because at least he had been consistent, at least yeah. his fights were 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 the same day in and day out and the attacks that 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 I used to bite you know the bait that they used to throw you know well, this guy is a socialist and he owns two houses or, or, or I mean the, 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 I mean it's intellectual fast food mm. at the end of the day what policies are going to help people. And and I and it it completely shifted my my paradigm in the way, in my ideology in the way I think. I, I no longer consider myself a Republican. I'm consider myself a Democrat. Even I'm more of an independent. I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm waiting on 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 a candidate that's that's going to to uh, to shift to shift the system away from from uh, from from the corporations. And you know, and give give power back to to uh, to the labor, to the laborers. Well, that's quite a journey you made there. It was quite a one eighty, wasn't it? So what? Do you, I'm, I'm now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to the people that that you left behind that are still uh, stuck in that man, man, man mentality? That's a very interesting question because I, I'm in daily combat with my father. I'm in in daily combat with my, you know, a lot of my close friends, a lot of my family members that were really bewitched mm-hmm. by Donald Trump. And yeah. that's the yeah, that's the the word that came to mind because I really don't know how else to explain it. You know, there was there was a mixed. There's a mixture of religion, and there's a mixture of culture, culture war, and there's a mixture of this guy was willing to fight for me. Nobody has no. I, I was looking for for an advocate, looking for a fighter. Not so much as far as economics, but culturally, mm-hmm. I was being culturally drowned out for a long time. You know, yeah. I wanted. You know, I felt like my religion was being attacked, was being. You know, moved out of of of, uh, of the schools and yada yada yada, and this guy came along. First thing he moves, you know, the 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 you know, our embassy to Jerusalem, and in other words, things that won't make a lick of difference in your life. 
You know, you, nothing that's going to make your experience on this earth any more comfortable or any right. better. But it was, yeah, it, the wall. It, it, it was just these tokens of culture and, you know, the, 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 um, just the lip service to to you know evangelicalism, the lip service to to you know the the, the you know the working man and you know the lip service to minorities that never really panned out, but they bid it hook line and sinker, and yep. they're and they'll have his and they'll be loyal to him, to the end, and that's yep. the scary part and that's what I'm trying to fight, and I've I've managed to persuade a few people. In, in the at least to to start thinking straight and get out of that of that uh almost cult like mentality and to be able to see things as they are, you know I'm not saying they're going to vote for for Bernie Sanders or or Biden or I mean I I wouldn't even suggest it, yeah. but know why you're voting for 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 somebody and yeah. know when you're getting bullshitted and know when when somebody's trying to sell you something. And for God's sakes, man, don't vote for somebody that just literally just tried to steal a freaking election and was willing to throw his vice president under the bus to do it. Yep. I mean, you've lost me completely when you're when you're okay with you, you lost me completely when you're okay with that. Don't talk to me about how much you love the country. Don't talk to me about how much you love the Constitution and freedom when you were okay with when you co-signed on on Donald Trump trying to steal the election. Swerve at me with that stuff, man, because I'm not listening to it. I don't have time for it, and uh, and it sucks because these are the com- kind of conversations that that need to be had. Yes, and I'm not afraid to have them. I, I've engaged with people well for a while there, almost daily on Facebook, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I knew the person I was talking to on the other end, I was not going to convince him, but I was hoping somebody else was tuning in that was right on the fence and would suddenly say, what was I thinking? And probably this uh, podcast for the same reason. Yes, exactly. And and I I try to bring on a lot of, of, uh, of Trump supporters because I know that I know what they're going to say before they even say it. Number one. And so, you know, I can present a different perspective. I try to be respectful, but sometimes it gets a little heated, especially when we talk about, you know, fraud and for this election being stolen. I, I really have very little patience for that. Um, yeah, when I show this book to people, I can tell by their reaction to the title whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat. Of course, of <laughs> course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's – it doesn't. It doesn't have to be that way because things shouldn't be black and white, and exactly. it, 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 it's not. like this. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's like this. This issue, you know, because I had a a, a professor of a uh, political economy, you know, my sophomore year in in college. His name was Professor Professor Freeman. At that time, I was a diehard conservative man. I was a rush. I was Rush Limbaugh out. I was man listening to Hannity and Beck and O'Reilly, and I was just propagandized, dude, from morning. To afternoon, I knew my talking points. I knew I knew every I I knew what I was going to say. But then I, I went into this to to this professor's class, and slowly, he was he showed me things that got me to to think a little bit. That that started the process a little bit right there. That you know he he showed me things like and he didn't do it in a way to like insult me. He didn't do it in a way to make me feel like I was dumb. 
or like I didn't, or I didn't know what I was talking about. He just showed me. Let me let me put this in your pipe and smoke it and see and see what that does for you, right? And and then I I on my own started started doing started thinking about it and th- and I the issue I realized was not that that um that I was brainwashed or anything like that. It was just that I was taught to think that there was only right, one right answer. And my team had it. Huh. You know, I, the, yeah, there was only one right answer. My team had it. We had a monopoly on the truth. We had a monopoly on facts. And anybody who disagreed had to be either evil or had to, you know, be some kind of communist and or some kind of, you know, it, it the, like you said, the journey was was interesting because it was about a 10 year one. You know, where we're we're slowly, you know, I started to just rethink um, old tribal affinities. You know, sure. But uh, but nonetheless, what's that? Congratulations! <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a brain up there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's there's something up there, and it's and it's <laughs> it seems seems to be working. So, I mean, we're we're off to we're off to a good start. Yeah. But uh, let's uh let's let's end up on. On uh, on a on a real quick compendulum on 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 capitalism and whether you think it can be saved or whether you think it even deserves to be saved. Um, that's a good question because I don't think that we should seize the means of production, like some uh, people would say. Uh, there's different forms of socialism. I'm a democratic socialist in that I believe that we need uh, robust oversight or corporations so they don't do it uh, they don't get away with stuff because right. you can't have with them watching each other. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, but I think that um, we have to get used to the fact that uh, we're running out of resources. We need to, uh, there's a whole movement out there. Uh, they're called um, something. The gro- something growth economy, and what they're looking at is we're running out of resources, and uh, the theory that capitalism is all about uh, growth is not going to work anymore. Uh, we need to make things more sustainable. Instead of worrying about growing our businesses, we should think about things like feeding the world. We could do so much to uh, on this planet if we would retool the way that we uh, think about capitalism or Think about any kind of economic system, because uh, we now have the capacity to feed everybody on the on the planet. And why aren't we doing it? That's a very there, good question. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that uh, we uh, we can, uh, the, the uh, Green New Deal. What I like about it is it's going to create jobs out of uh, jobs that that are no longer needed. Those coal miners in West Virginia. Can now um, build solar panels and things like that because uh, that's a sustainable type of energy that we could really use. Um, right. There's so many great ideas that are coming out there on a day-to-day basis. And in my book, I even say um, my last chapter is called "Evolution or Revolution," and we determine whether that uh, which is going to happen. But the evolution is happening because we're fi- finding all sorts of really smart people with great ideas that we should take advantage of. And uh, I, I'm, again, I'm uh, encouraged and heartened by the 
fact that your generation is sticking this the bull by the horns and trying to accomplish something. And I support you 100%. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, Dan McRory, I think on that note, we'll uh, – We'll we'll call it a podcast. What do you think? Any any final any final thoughts on on anything that we talked about? Well, there's all sorts of things that we didn't cover in the book. So if people um, tell you what, um, how many listeners do you have? Do you have a lot of listeners? I have I have a, a whole lot of listeners. Do you think one of them would like to win a copy of my book? I'm I'm pretty sure they'd be excited about that. Okay, well then you let me know who it was and and uh, I'll send that book to the, to them. Okay, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you the information, and we can, and we can, and we can get that. We can get that done. Uh, yeah, we're and, talking about my other book because it's a novel, and it talks about a guy who's got Parkinson's disease and what's happening with him. He has uh, cheated on his wife, and his friend, he's ignored his friends. So when he tells everybody, "I've got Parkinson's, I'm dying," they say, "So what?" <laughs> <laughs> what a that's a quite the swan song, huh? Yeah, it's called You Will Forever Be My Always, and it came out yesterday. It sounds it sounds really sad. Actually, it's got a lot of humor in it. It'll be some. Uh, it'll surprise a lot of people. Some dark humor. What's that? Is it, is it some dark humor? Uh, yeah, some of that, but uh, silly stuff too. And uh, he goes to um, talk to. He wants to save his mortal soul, so he goes to. Um, Thailand and talks to a Catholic priest and a Buddhist priest. Then he goes to Morocco and talks to Jews and and Muslims. And then he comes home and decides the best thing he can do is go through Texas where I grew up and, and uh, try to make it up to all the people that he screwed over the years. Wow. And so, so you will forever be my always. Yes. And that got released yesterday. Yes. And where can people find that? Barnes & Noble, Amazon, the usual places. Okay. Okay. So you will forever be my always, Dan McRory. And yep. how capitalism killed the middle class? You got the how. I deliberately made it look like a murder mystery. Capitalism killed the middle class. I saw that. Ways the system is rigged against you. Yes, that's clever. <laughs> well, well, maybe we can do a. Uh, a uh, Around two here pretty soon, and and just specifically talk about specifically talk about the book. I'm actually coming out with a sequel too. So, I I, I, I saw that in another podcast you did where you were where you talk about other countries. Yes, that's right, it. right. The global edition. The global edition. That's right. That's right. Well, looking forward to it. Me Mr. too, Danny Rory. You enjoy your Thanksgiving. It was a uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Samuel. I Take learned care. a lot, and I think I think the conversation was was a good one, and uh, we'll we'll definitely do this again soon. Okay. Okay, I learned some things too. <laughs> All right, Dan. We'll take care of yourself. Okay. You too. Bye. All right, buddy. Good night.